On this episode of PI Perspectives, Matt is joined by Paul Ciccarella, the president and founder of Advanced Investigations throughout Connecticut. Paul drops by while at the MCPI conference in Plymouth, Michigan. He also serves as the Northeast Regional Director for NCISS, the National Council for Investigative and Security Services. Paul discusses bug sweeping and how he got started in the electronic countermeasure field. Advanced Investigations is a full-service investigation company and covers all of Connecticut. This episode is brought to you by Satellite Investigations in New York City. Satellite Investigations is the leading investigation firm in New York City since 2005. You can find links to Advanced Investigations and Satellite Investigations in this episode's description. Now let's tune in and check out the latest perspective of our next guest, Paul Ciccarella. And without further ado, our host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome to another episode of PI Perspectives. My name is Matt Spare. I am your host. We're coming from you from beautiful Plymouth, Michigan. We're here for the NCISS board meeting, and we're here for the uh, the Michigan Private Investigators Conference also that's taking place. So I'm sitting down. I have the privilege and the honor to sit down with uh, Paul Ciccarella. Paul is actually a regional director for NCISS. He's based out of Connecticut, and uh, he runs Advanced Investigations. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. So I'm not going to ask you about the weather because uh, we're both here, and I know the weather stinks. Today, so <laughs> we're going to leave that. We're going to leave that one all alone. Yes, beautiful golf course outside. We're not touching it. We're not seeing it. Tell me a little bit about advanced investigations. How did you come up with the concept? I know you've been in business since 2009. So tell me, how did you get to that point? So I started doing investigative work in 2003, just out of college. I really enjoyed the work. I worked for a local company in Connecticut. I excelled in surveillance. Really enjoyed it. Shortly after uh, becoming a field lead field investigator, I took a job with the state of Connecticut as a corrections officer. Unfortunately, I was hurt on the job and I really had no other uh, choices. So I started an investigation firm. It's what I knew and slowly built my business up each year. It was just you when you started or you had employees? I had one person that worked for me and every year we grew from there. Okay. It was a challenge being a young man, trying to walk into a law firm, trusting them, uh, trusting then they give me the business. It was a, definitely a challenge. Okay. As I got a chance to get some work and prove myself, we grew each year. Yeah. I mean, I find it's, it's my experience in doing business with attorneys. It, it's all in like the job that you've done and getting that testimonial. I find that having an attorney client that refers you to another client is much better than spending money on advertising. Just that word of mouth and getting your foot in the door initially is, is always a challenge. Right? I don't think I got any local attorneys from all of the marketing that I've done. It was definitely word of mouth. Right. Absolutely. Right. So how long have you been involved with the uh, Connecticut Association? You're the president right now. Give me the name of that organization. CPIA, Connecticut okay. Private Investigation Association. Okay. okay. How long have you been involved with them? So it's a new agency or a new association. Mm-hmm. CalPE was the old association. It recently dissolved. And there was a group of about 10 investigators that would meet aside from CalPE. And it was more of a forum. They'd get together twice a year and discuss what was going on and network and, and really help each other grow. We learned from each other. And when CalPE closed down, we decided to start this organization to fill that vacuum. So Connecticut could have a professional association that they could go to for any, any needs, um, whether it be training or if there's any issues. Do you allow out-of-state members to join? 
Uh, we do have associate members, or you could be an out-of-state member. Yeah. Where would you go? What's the website address to, to go check it out? CPIA.org. Okay, so Advanced Investigations, uh, you started in 2009. You started building the business uh, slowly but sure. I think you said you have 12 people working for you now. Yep, we have 12 employees. I would say seven or eight of them are investigators. Some are case managers, paralegals, and we have some administrative staff as well. Okay, great. Yeah, I always found that having that administrative staff really helps you build your business. It's funny. It's like you, you tell yourself, I don't want to hire somebody that's not going to make money for me. And you know, you, you kind of make that mistake. And when you finally do bite the bullet and bring somebody in, it frees you up to have more time to sell your, your business, business, grow your business, get the work done, do a better job essentially at the investigative work as well. So that's something I definitely recommend in doing. So one of the reasons that I wanted you to come in here today to talk to us is uh, bunk sweeping. So uh, I, I think we all have like a misconception as to what that is and, and what you can do with it. There's a lot of non-information out there. It's kind of the wild west. And I know you do it. I know you've, you're very experienced at doing it and you've, you've done it for a bit. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what that is and how that works? I've been doing it since 2003. I probably did my um, first debugging when I was with the uh, first investigation firm that I was training with and worked for. As we were speaking about earlier, it's funny how technology changes. You know, the new iPhone from the first iPhone, drastic difference. Same concept, same thing with the TVs, you know, old and new. When we first started doing debuggings or when I first started doing debuggings, what we were looking for was a lot different. <laughs> a recording device could be as small as your, your pinky nail. Back then they were, you know, uh, size almost a VCR and they were with a cassette. So the technology drastically changes what we're looking for and what we use to detect those type of bugs. When we first started, common thing that we would find, believe it or not, is a break in the phone line, mostly in the basement. And they would literally, I probably got three of them in two years working with the company I was working with. It would be a voice activated recorder. It was a cassette. And the thing was probably about the size of a laptop, wow. three times thick. Wow. And as soon as the line would pick up, it would start to record. There's some equipment to test for that, but the best way is a visual inspection. You know, if something looked to be... Um, tampered with, the screws were worn, you know, if there was an access door, ceiling tile, et cetera. There definitely was technology to help, but a, a good visual inspection and tracking down, tracing down the lines. So you would say that when you do this work, there's always that visual inspection aspect to it first before Absolutely. you even start doing everything. As you're going, you right. know, the, the newer equipment's gonna give you a signal and then you have to look. It's not gonna just tell you, you don't turn on a machine and it says, there's a bug in the corner of the room. Right. I wish it was that, that easy, but, but it's not. There's definitely a lot of visual inspection. You can get false reads. Yeah, definitely. So. I, I remember when I was uh, in college, I did my internship with the Department of Investigations in New York City uh, in the special unit. And the special unit was in charge of actually doing wiretapping and setting up video cameras and all that. And the guy who was running the unit had us in and said, uh, turn on the TV, right? So we turned the TV on and then you could see us on TV and he said, go find the camera. And we're all running around looking for the camera, looking for the camera. Where's this stupid camera? And nobody could find it. It was actually in the VCR. <laughs> so nobody thought to look in the VCR. It's the funniest thing. And that was, you know, back in 1994 or something, 93. Uh, so a long time ago. But, the, you know, technology's been around. It, uh, it was really cool. Okay. It's crazy what they could hide cameras in. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that? What you experienced, the, the new type of technology that you've come across um, and that you've seen? Well, I, I mean, when we talk about what we could hide cameras in, I could go into a quick uh, story where we actually had to implement cameras. Um, a church hired us to figure out where the uh, collection money was going. Uh, they saw a, a uh, decrease 
in revenue and, and they saw an increase in the people attending the church and um the priest didn't want to believe it but the accountant said there's something wrong so they hired us okay sure enough we we had it actually plant the cameras which um normally we're trying to find them instead of planting them right um, which later we'll get into where we can put the cameras and so we can, i'm going to jump use them. i'm going to jump in here where do you get your equipment from is there a specific website that you buy your cameras from or, or not really so it really depends if you're going to build something you can really get the cameras anywhere and, and you know if you're going to use a dvr uh that's that records right to the dvr if it's going to transmit to another box but uh, a lot of good technology uh pi gear yeah gear um Phenomenal, uh, right. and Jim's for, wealth of knowledge. Right, so for those who don't know, that's a part of PI Magazine. Uh, Jim Nanos runs that uh, site. He sells gear, he sells books. Um, highly recommend it if uh, you're in, in the need for any kind of investigative gear to go and check that out. Very, very knowledgeable, okay. very helpful so, as well. So, so what happened with the with the story here? So you, you got the cameras in the church, what, what happened next? So we, we, we put the cameras in and actually another investigative firm was hired prior to us and um, they kind of told us what not to do or what they what they thought which ended up being completely wrong. Um, we were looking in a total different direction, um, but we followed the money, right? Mm -hmm. So the money went from the, the baskets into a bag and into a room. And in that same room, the organist kept his music in there and instruments, etc. So we followed the money and we put cameras everywhere, but that's where we put a majority of the cameras. Right. So we literally drilled out the spine of books, not a Bible, some music books, <laughs> and was able to plant the cameras and get good full views of the room. I believe on my, on my website, it still has the, the video of him actually going in the basket, taking the money and putting it right in his pocket. Wow. Um, you, you couldn't dispute that. Wow. So we had cameras, three cameras all over, hit a lot of angles, and we were able to, to give the proof to the, the archdiocese or the priest there, and they actually made an arrest. Really? Did you have to go in and testify about any of that stuff? We didn't. Um, I mean, normally you testify when somebody wants to try a case, right? And he, he didn't have much to go on, yeah, so he took a deal, and and, it, and you know, it went away. Wow, that's amazing. Tell me your experience in dealing with people. I, I would assume that that a lot of people you get uh, inquiring about the bugs or you know, tinfoil on their head. They may be a little, a couple screws loose. Like how do you disseminate like what's real and what's not real? And and, and how do you hey, weed through that to see if you got something? So we, we, we get a lot of that, but you really have to take a look. There's been many times when we thought people were crazy, maybe not with, with cameras or, or covert cameras or bugs. You know, we've had somebody hire us uh, to do a reverse surveillance where they're being followed. And their family doesn't believe them. And sure enough, they're being followed, whether it's a workman's comp thing or, wow. uh, you know, we've had some pretty interesting cases that they were being followed. Wow. Normally, if somebody's going to hire us to do a bug sweep, unless they're really crazy. And we've had our share of those right. where they would have us put cameras in because they swear people are coming in the house and we see them army crawling trying to trick our cameras. Right. And say they're not working. We had a plan back and say, no, look, you know, we, we see you, we see you crawling there. Yeah. Um, so um, you get your share of those, but you know, right. to give them peace of mind, right. you do a preliminary investigation and let them know there's nothing going on, right. and that is a service. It, hopefully, it would give right. them some sense of peace of mind. So you, you think there's there va there's value in that? You know, you're just like not hitting them for the big uh, big ticket search item. Just let me spend a few minutes talk to them. Maybe just do a cursory research to see what's out there, and that's that's providing comfort. For them. Sure, it depends on the case. I mean, a debugging is right. different than you know 
again, if it was a reverse surveillance or if they thought somebody was posting something, you know, online about them and you utilize some contacts we'd have to help us, I believe you interviewed somebody that has some, yes. some great um, uh, techniques and tools. Yeah, we're networking, uh, man. That's it. That's it. <laughs> that's why we're here. That's what we're doing. That's cool. So let's talk a little bit about the, the, the progression of technology a little more. You're in 2003 and how it ha- have you seen the technology get better and where do you think it's going? What do you think the, the, the future of this is? So the, the technology back then was an RF reader, essentially to try to pick up an RF signal and how strong it is. So in the R- earlier R- RF is? Radio frequency. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, it didn't even have like a, a printout of you by noise and light. Right. Um, and as the, the signal got stronger, the light and the noise would get brighter or louder. And that would bring you to find a device if it was transmitting some type of a signal. So we do a test to show a client that this, this, this device does pick up a signal. So if you have your phone, you're holding it in your hand, you wave it, it's going to pick up some, some small signal. Right. You go to a Google search and you hit search and you'll see the RF signal light up. You're able to see that it does work. And again, we utilize that technology and, and I was not aware of and did not have maybe the finances or the knowledge to go get the technology that we have now. We got it through REI, a phenomenal company out of Cooksville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, they provide the equipment and the training. But back then we had that and we had our eyes. You know, there were some devices that you'd be able to pick up and hear a click. You know, they talk about, you know, I think somebody's recording my hair click. That's real. It is. It's, it's essentially that cassette player in the basement I was telling you about, once the voice activation kicks on, you're going to hear that click. So there were some tools, but nothing like we have now. And that RF uh, radio frequency detector that we speak of, that's one small tool in the toolbox because a lot of the technology now, especially in the domestic situations, the husband and wife stuff, they're going online to Amazon or some spy shop and they're buying something for 80 bucks that they'll put underneath the couch that's not transmitting anywhere, therefore not putting off any signal. And you can't find that with a radio, with an RF uh, right. a scanner. Right. You're going to need what's called a nonlinear junction detector. And basically that's a piece of equipment that if there's any type of a, a nanode um, or, or electronic chip or board of any type, it's going to pick that up. Okay. And it'll give you a higher signal of how strong it is. I mean, it could literally pick up if there's metal in the wall. Um, so as we got the training, um, it was mind-blowing to see the debugs that we did before. We found stuff. A lot of the times they were, again, those recorders in the basement or um, tracking devices on vehicles. But this day and age, I would say 70% of the time, they're going to be using a device that they have to go back and retrieve and then go listen to it or watch it. So do you um, upsell at that point, like doing the bug sweep and Surveillance is very popular these days, setting up the surveillance equipment that's, you don't need a guy manning it, you just set it up, leave and come back. Sometimes, uh, most bug sweeps are in conjunction with an investigation, whether it's a family situation, uh, a child custody or a divorce, you know, it could be a business dispute. They, they, you know, they split up the business and all of a sudden, you know, they're knowing things they shouldn't know. Right. Um, we recently did one in a big office building. Like trade secrets. And e- exactly. Like and we really, we spent two days there. Come to find out it was a secretary. So there was no bug. It was, it was a rat. <laughs> so, you know, you can't, you can't find that with, with, with debugging equipment. But that, you needed further investigation to figure out how that was going. So they thought it was a, a bug yeah. of some type, yeah, but it was, but it was just a person. Yeah, yeah. It, was a it was it was a okay. person. So that most of the time when you're doing the debugging, it's going to be in conjunction with an investigation. So speaking of bugs and rats, this is a perfect segue 
<laughs> to bring us to the next case I wanted to talk to you about with the exterminator. So tell me a little bit about the extermination case. So uh, that was a loss prevention investigation. We get a fair amount of loss prevention investigations. And um, again, similar to the church, you know, um, chemicals and, 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 and mileage on the vehicles were up, but profits were down. So they hired us to take a look and we implemented some tracking devices on the vehicles. They were their vehicles, the company's vehicles. And um, so the, the law in Connecticut is if you own the vehicle, you can put a tracking device on it. Yep. Okay. Yeah. If you own the vehicle or have an interest in the vehicle, you could put a tracking device on it. Okay. Um, that probably changed, I'd say, about four or five years ago. Okay. So at the time, then that was, it was. Yeah. Well, you could, if, if, yeah. if it's a company vehicle, you You're could track, you, you, yeah, you gotcha. own the vehicle. So, we, we developed a, a way to gauge a risk number based upon the employee. It's by how long they were stopped for, how many stops they made, and how many tickets they handed in with a check. And there was a really hard way to, to gauge the chemicals because they were mixed and watered down, and, and that way wasn't going to work. So if somebody made a stop and they were there for a certain amount of time and didn't produce a ticket, they would get a, a mark against them, if you will. People with the most marks and a few other factors they would get a risk level and sure enough those high risk levels yeah. they were doing the work not doing tickets uh they would go in with no they take their work shirt off yeah. they'd go in with their you know t-shirt after the fact and follow up and, and call that client and you know say hey, how was the you know the service um three people got arrested in that wow. you know, they, profits hey, yeah, you were saying that was in the news and everything too right yeah that was the, that was the jewelry case the fearfield jewelry oh right right okay. um, yeah, this one didn't make it in the news he okay. didn't want the negative publicity that's why i'm not going to mention this right yeah no no definitely i uh, don't want you to, to sell yourself but um but it's profitability that next year because we confronted the people that stole in the meeting so they have team meetings uh twice a week right and uh, you better believe that there was a lot of people were doing the same thing just yeah. certain people were getting a little too greedy so he had his group of people that were on like double secret probation right you, you better know. believe it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I was the guys that ended up getting getting thrown to the curb. Okay, so uh, again, you're you're great with the segues. Let's uh, segue into the jeweler. Let's talk about that case a little bit. So again, loss prevention, and, and this 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 uses technology. A jeweler uh, again was experiencing increased sales, decreased profit. He couldn't figure it out, and he had a longtime employee who thought it was a really good friend was stealing jewelry. And we did numerous things. We did a, a undercover shopper. The person also had a part-time job at a bar, which is great. Sit down, talk to the person, get them talking. And that's what we did. And sure enough, you know, the guy was taking a raw diamond, if you will, or an unset diamond that they would sell to for an engagement ring or something and set it in a setting. And that's a profitable stone. He, they was, he was taking, I don't wanna say fake diamonds, but not great diamonds out of consignment pieces and putting them in as a raw diamond and selling these diamonds. Right. He was taking cash, you know, the covert cameras inside the store, picked them, picked them up, putting money right in his pocket, made a sale on something right in his pocket. That person got arrested. Okay. The client was nice enough to do a, a testimonial on our webpage, saved him a substantial amount of money and he got right. it back in restitution. How often would you say you get called in to testify in cases that you work on? So we work on a wide variety of, of types of cases from personal injury, domestic, criminal defense. I would say criminal defense is, is the majority of what my staff would, would testify on, um, sometimes civil. Um, if your case is strong, normally you don't have to testify. We were just talking about that yeah. before. Yeah, I was talking um, that, about that with, with Eddie uh, at a, on a prior episode. So to me, my, my thing is, is that if you don't testify, that's actually a good thing. That's, that speaks of your, of your work products. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like my work stands for itself. 
they're not questioning it unless they're looking for billable hours. You know, like, oh, I, I need four or five more billable hours. Let me just call this guy in for a deposition. You know, like that kind of stuff happens. Yeah, so, absolutely. well, that's that's good. So, would you say that you do um, or, or do you uh, do any kind of work in conjunction with law enforcement? Um, sometimes our cases uh, bring us down that road. Most of the time we would do more criminal defense. Okay. But, you know, we actually did a revenge porn case. A woman came to us, hired us and said, came to my attention that there's pictures of me out there and there's a whole profile right. and there was actually pictures of a, a younger female um, with her to turn on to be her daughter and we knew that there was definitely going to be some stuff that we weren't yeah. we're not comfortable with um, um, and as we investigated further there was some child porn involved and we had to get the police involved right away wow. and again that, that that turned out an arrest you know it, it's crazy because when you do investigative work and there is an online aspect to it you never know what you're going to see, man. <laughs> Sometimes you see things and you're like, I wish I didn't click on that, you know? Um, and, and it's, you know, it could be porn. It could be something else. You know, they're just, uh, it, it's amazing uh, when you're doing your due diligence, what you come and find. So there was a case that we were talking about earlier before we started uh, when you did kind of work in conjunction with law enforcement, um, the missing persons case. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that one? You know, a lot of cases that we get that sometimes involve the police, um, sometimes there's just not enough hours in a day right. and, and the PDs don't have a certain budget. They have a certain budget to only investigate certain cases. Right now, I'm not speaking about the missing person case, but I could give you a little example to kind of make sense of, of, of what we're going to talk about in a second. We, we got a case out of Bridgeport, Connecticut, where a client calls us and said, I called the police. They're not doing anything. My wallet, my wallet was stolen and my credit card was used at these three places. And the police aren't doing anything about it. And she really wanted to know who, who stole her, her wallet and used her credit card. So she hired us. And the police just would, they just didn't have the time. Not, not, not disrespecting law enforcement, next law enforcement. Um, they just simply didn't have the time. It wasn't, took us wasn't two, one of the eight felonies. So. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah, yeah. so exactly, exactly. And I could go on for, for days how people call us when we're their last resort. Um, whether the police couldn't take it on or the attorney can't bring it to the judge because there's not enough evidence. And then they have to have us get that evidence. They have to get answers from us so we can solve their, you know, their problems. Um, sure enough, like within two hours, we went to these places and all the surrounding places and got the video of the person using the card. It was a coworker. Wow. And if, if we didn't do that, she would have been working with this thief probably, for years. Yeah, probably would have hit her pocketbook again. Sure, <laughs> you sure. Know, it's free game, right? So into the missing person uh, case, um, uh, an officer was about to retire, small town detective even told the client, you know, this is my last case. And, and, and that didn't sit well with, with, with my client. Unfortunately, um, there's two people missing. Our client's son uh, was found, unfortunately dead. Mm -hmm. And the female's body still hasn't been, been found. Wow. And the officer really just didn't really do a, a too good of a look. And as uh, his replacement came in, um, what pressure from the family and, and the other missing female, they took a lot of our investigation and now they're they're on to something that we got. I'm not gonna really go into too much detail. Yeah, of course. But we did a thorough investigation and pointed out some things to the family that, you know, they didn't let go and right. you know, we're helping them That's uh, great. with that that process. Great, great. Okay, so I'm gonna um, steer us back into the bug sweeping uh realm. And it's it's good to see all these cool things that you do. And again, if you're in the Connecticut area, um you're having trouble with uh you know the work that you're doing and you need an extra hand or just a, you know, somebody who specializes in a certain area, uh, definitely reach out to Paul. We're going to have his information uh, attached to the 
episode uh, information, and we'll we'll get into it actually before we end here. So, uh, just going back to the bug sweeping, there's some people that look to maybe give it a shot themselves um, or, or dive into it. And to me, I, I think that's a bad idea. You know, and, and you're shaking your head, going, "Yeah, <laughs> like oh, that's the video aspect would, would would catch this." So, why don't we talk about that a little bit? What what's why should they not do that? Why should they call an expert like yourself to, to get this stuff done? So um, most of the time when somebody calls me and they're talking about, you know, they're looking for something, they tell me, they're like, yeah, I bought this thing online. I just don't know how to use it. You know, right. it's an RF, you know, reader that will not really help them with what they're looking for. Even if it was tran a transmittable device, normally it's set to transfer all the data at like an odd hour for a small amount of time, depending on how much data they record it in that product. So the RF would never be able uh, to, to be helpful. And they, they try to do it themselves, spend the money on this device that's basically worthless at this point, and then have to hire us to help them. Right. There's nothing illegal about what they're doing, where sometimes you get clients that say, um, and this is domestic, I, I've had companies try to do their own workman's cop investigation, which is totally illegal. But we do get a lot of clients that, you know, I think my spouse is cheating, and they go and, you know, hire Uncle Tom to go do the investigation. And, you know, A, it's not going to be admissible in court and it's against the law. Right. You know, that's stalking in, in Connecticut. Yeah. We, um, we have something similar in New York. So it's actually uh, a class B misdemeanor to do investigative work and not be a licensed investigator. Same and, thing in Connecticut. Uh, yeah. There are a lot of guys that don't know that and they go out and they, they put a shingle out and say, I'm retired from the job. I'm an investigator, but they didn't go ahead and, and actually file the paperwork or, or um, get certified or do what they're, they're supposed to be doing. So it's good to see some other states um, do that as well. So, you know, really just the, uh, the idea is I'm, I'm talking more along the lines of like private investigators. They, they get somebody that contacts them and says, I need a bug, bug sweep done. And I think it's important that when those calls come in, that we, you know, find somebody that need, that, that actually knows how to do this stuff that uses the proper equipment because the equipment is very, very expensive, right? Absolutely. Yep. The, the equipment and the training is very expensive. Yeah. What, I mean, what would you say the initial investment in, in lining yourself up to do this work between the equipment and, and the training on it? So I have a few investigators in my office trained. So that definitely changes that changes that number if you're a solo guy. But I mean, you're, you're probably into $80,000 if you get all the equipment and you get a few people trained. Certain pieces of equipment are $40,000, $50,000. Yeah. You know, the Orion's $18,000, the Oscar's $8,000. So, I mean, sorry, the Andre's $8,000, the Oscar's over 40. Um, and I'm sure that's one of these things where if you're in that world, you're staying on top of what the latest technology is too, because I'm sure it changes so often where, you know, that $40,000 piece of equipment is now worthless, right? When you said to me, you said, oh, you're an expert in this field. And I said, my response was, I'm only as good as my last training. Right. And you need to continue to train and educate. And, you know, that's not only just with the debugging equipment, yeah. and you know this, yeah. everything in our profession from the databases and the technology that comes out, yeah. You really got to stay on top of it. But specifically with the debugging equipment, yeah. there's always somebody doing something to one-up you, right? Yeah. Just like with the cell phones, we may talk about it if we have time where you're able to put bugs on phones with a simple text. Right. If I send you a picture and you have to download that picture, you could essentially be downloading a, a spyware, a malware that's going to allow me to you know, see your text messages, your deleted text messages, look at your camera live. So I can just basically turn it on and see what your camera sees. Yeah. Um, it's mind blowing to see what's out there. Yeah, it's crazy, right? The data providers or the, the manufacturers of phones do their best when they're sending out these updates to you guys and you guys have to redo the updates. 
if there was a hack out there, a lot of the times it's for security and then they'll, they'll correct that. But for a period of time, you could be, you know, getting listened to, saw, no privacy. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, you know, like who would have thought like, you know, Inspector Gadget, you know, and, and James Bond and all these things that it's we real. saw growing up, you know, it's like, wow, actually, uh, there there is a phone on my watch. What is this? <laughs> you know, like, how did that happen? So we're definitely heading in that direction. And I, I love that you talked on, on the, uh, the whole thing about education, because I know you and I are friends and, and I know that's uh, a passion for both of us, you know, really you know, pushing forward and trying to make one another better at, at our profession, what we do. And that's kind of the spirit of this podcast. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to have people come in, talk a little bit about what they do and educate a bit. So, you know, the idea is, you know, if you get a, a, a bugging case or, or a really just a difficult surveillance case, where maybe you don't even have the staff to, to handle it, and it's in the Connecticut area, to reach out to you, to, to Paul, and, and, you know, at least have a conversation, you know, how's the right way to handle this? So that that's really the spirit of that. And I had talked earlier in, in an earlier podcast about the Investigators Toolbox, which is something that uh, a website that we're creating. Uh, also, that's going to be a resource for for other investigators. But that's another commercial for another day. <laughs> so, um, and man, I am just so appreciative of you taking the time to sit down and, and talk with me. I know we were talking for a bit about doing this, and uh, I want to thank you for your time. And how do people reach you? What's uh, what's your email address? And uh, so we have a website, it's advancedinvestigationct.com. Okay. Um, and, and my personal email is p. My last name Chicarella, C I C A R E L L A at ai-ct.com. Okay, great. So we are a wrap here in beautiful Plymouth, Michigan. Uh, I want to thank you all for tuning in. And hey, guys, like I would really love for you to like and share this with any other investigators or anybody you might think would be interested in hearing about this stuff. If you're on iTunes or Google Play, uh, definitely give us a five-star rating if you think we deserve it or any kind of rating. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this stuff. And uh, hopefully we'll get a little more uh, podcasting in here before this conference is done. Thank you again to Paul. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you guys real soon. Take care. Thanks for checking out this episode. We hope you found Paul's take on bug sweeping interesting. Be sure to visit the website at advancedinvestigationct.com. Paul's team has the ability to cover all the United States for surveillance sweeping assignments. This episode has been brought to you by Satellite Investigations, New York's leading investigations firm since 2005. Learn more at SatellitePI.com. Don't forget to leave a five-star review at Apple Podcasts and a quick comment and share this episode with a friend. They might need it. And tune in to the next episode when we chat with Amber Schroeder from Paraben Corporation and highlight cell phone forensics. Thanks for downloading this episode and subscribing to PI Perspectives.